So uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 8, and we are going to continue our series this morning in the Gospel of John. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Um, if you have a Bible, read along with us. You can look on your phone, um, and, uh, and we're going to read John chapter 8, verses, oh no, I'm in Luke. What in the world? I was the one that said to turn there. Okay. Verses 31, and we're going to read all the way to 47. And I'll put it up on the screen too. So John chapter 8, verses 31 to 47 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I I came not of my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. But uh, we are in John uh, chapter 8 this morning uh, together. Uh, we're going to look at verses uh, 31 through 47. Uh, and, and this is uh, really uh, a, a, a difficult passage. I was telling somebody, somebody's asking me about coming back from after a baby and, and what I'm supposed to be doing and stuff. I said, well, actually, you know, this week I, I kind of have an easy week. Like really all like I'm expected to do is preach on Sunday. And they said, they said, oh, wow, wow, I think that's awesome that you think, you know, preaching is easy and fun. And I was like, yeah, it is. And then I, like, got to this passage, and I was like, oh, no, not this passage. Um, because this is not an easy passage. It actually, it's a passage that talks a lot about truth and lies. And it has some pretty difficult things for us to hear and grab onto. And I was, I was thinking about just this idea uh, of truth and lies uh, this week. And I realized that as much as we might like to think we like the truth, the truth can actually be a really difficult thing for us to hear. Uh, the truth is a hard thing to digest sometimes. And I would actually say most of us, I think probably it's safe to say all of us really struggle with 
certain truths in our own lives, that we would rather them not be spoken, not be said, not be dealt with. I, I know in my own life, there, there is one that's actually been uh, kind of a, a truth I've been wrestling with for quite some time. And just recently, I finally came to the conclusion, I have to face it, I have to own it, I have to live in it for all that it is, and it is that I am truly, finally, 100%, no doubt about it, I'm fat. Like, I, I am fat. I know, I, I know what you're thinking. I know some of you are thinking, like, okay, this guy's crazy, like, he, he's not fat. I know others of you are thinking, okay, finally, he's owning it and saying it, and we can talk about it now. Um, I know how, that's how Ed feels. Um, and so uh, they've been worried for me. But no, it, it's the truth, and, and it's something that I've actually struggled with for quite a while. Because um, the fact of the matter is, is I have weighed as much as I weigh right now for about the last two years. And uh, I have, over the last two years, in my mind, wrestled with the question, Am I fat or not? And uh, I've, I've had all sorts of ways to justify this in my mind. Uh, that I can look at other people and I can say, well, I'm not as big as them. Or I know that it's been a slow buildup to it. And I say, ah, you're not that fat. You, it's just, you know, you've got a lot of things in your life. You have three kids now. You hit 30. All that kind of stuff. All these different ways of me looking at it, denying it, avoiding it, just not even thinking about it. But the fact is, I am the, I weigh the most I've ever weighed in my life. And I know you may look at it and you'd be like, okay, well, you don't weigh that much. But the thing is, is that even objectively speaking, as much as I want, might want to deny it, might want to avoid it, might want to justify it, objectively speaking, I was, in a, I was in a doctor's office one time and they had a chart up on the wall and they said, okay, if you are this kind of frame and you are this height, this is your range. This is how much you should weigh. And I am 15 pounds heavier than somebody my height and build should weigh. Objectively speaking, this is science talking. I'm fat. Like it is, it, it is the truth. And the thing is, is that it has taken me a while to get there because it's a hard truth that I don't want to deal with, that I don't want to consider myself that way. And yet it's the way it is. And I don't think I'm alone in that, that we all have difficult truths in our lives that we would rather not be said. We would rather not own. We'd rather not people say to us. We don't want to hear that stuff. And so this is what we do. We avoid it. We justify it. We run away from it. We deny it. And if it gets really bad, we turn on those who are trying to point it out to us. Just to hammer home the point of how uncomfortable hard truths can make us, it's not just that it's hard for me to hear and for me to say, but we don't like it when we hear hard truths about other people. It doesn't affect you guys at all that I'm up here telling you that I am large. But I guarantee you, some of you will be tempted to meet me out in the lobby afterwards and say, you're not fat. It's not that bad. If you want to see fat, look at my husband. You're not that bad off, right? That's, that's the truth. That, that's, that's what we do. We don't like it. It makes us uncomfortable when other people talk about hard truths that don't affect us at all. We want to minimize it as much as possible. We want to say, it's not that bad. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. You're okay. Because in fact, we want everyone to be okay. And most of us, the vast majority of us, we really don't like confrontation. And hard truths are confrontational. So we try to avoid them. I say all that to say, and to, so we can jump into this passage together, kind of on the same foundation, that we don't like to hear the hard stuff. We don't like to deal with it. We'd rather it not be brought up. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes it needs to be brought up. 
And that's what Jesus is doing here today. Jesus has some hard truths that he is speaking to this group of Jews that were told in verse 30, as we heard last week, Pastor Justin talked about, that believed in Jesus. Jesus has just gotten done. Jesus, we're actually picking up this morning in the midst of a conversation that actually started all the way back in chapter 7. And it's been an entire long conversation about who Jesus is and what he's about. And last week, Pastor Justin talked about how Jesus, Jesus has claimed that he is the light of the world. And we're told in verse 30 that there were Jews who believed in him. And so when we pick it up in verse 31, Jesus is speaking to those very Jews. He's doing something that we see Jesus doing all the time than he does with us. We hear these truths about Jesus and we say, okay, that sounds good. I like that. Let's go with that. And then Jesus says, great. I'm glad you're on board. Now let's take it one step further. Let's go a little deeper. Let's talk about what's really going on here. And that's what Jesus is up to as we pick up in verses 31 and 32. He starts off with this statement. And I'm not going to read it for you now because actually what we're going to do is we're going to come back to it at the end. It, it, but just so you know, this is a huge statement. There aren't many more things in the Gospel of John that we can point to and say they are more important than what Jesus says here in these two verses. But for right now, what you need to know and what I want to point you to is there, there at the end of verse 32. He says, And the truth will set you free. He's looking at these Jews who have believed in him. And he says, Look, guys, if you want to go a little bit deeper, here's the deal. And he lays out some things to do, some things that they need to incorporate in their life. And he says, and if you do this stuff, you will be free. Which actually means you aren't free now. Essentially what Jesus is telling this group is, guys, I know you don't believe it. I know you didn't come here thinking this. But your life is kind of a mess. There are some things that aren't the way they should be. And I see it, and I've got to say something about it, and we need to do something about it. And this is something that I don't know if anybody likes hearing, hey, your life is a mess. I mean, that's what you guys get up on Sunday hoping to hear when you come here, right? That somebody stands up here and tells you how you're doing everything wrong. That, that's right, right? You come back week after week just to get beat up and then go back out. That's not what we like. It's not what we like to hear. And yet, Jesus does that here. And the thing is, is that he does this. He says, hey guys, your life is a mess. You're not as free as you think you are. And the amazing thing is, is that this brings out a response that shines a light on really how bad things are indeed. The Jews, they say to Jesus, they say, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you, you will say you will become free? Now, just that right there by itself. We are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. This is the most ridiculous statement in the history of ridiculous statements in civilization. They are standing in the middle of a country that is occupied by a foreign power. And they're saying, we've never been enslaved by anybody. They are currently ruled by Rome. And if anything else, the history of Israel is a history of being occupied, exiled, and enslaved. 
Babylon, Assyria, let's not forget Egypt. I mean, for crying out loud, there's a whole book in the Bible written about just how the Jews were slaves and they got out of that thing. And these guys have the audacity to look at Jesus and say, we've never been enslaved by anyone. It's kind of like the kid standing there with a crayon in its hand, looking at you and saying, I didn't draw on the wall. It's that kind of ridiculous statement. And as you read commentaries about this, they say this over and over again, like, this is crazy. How could they think this? And on the surface, it does seem that bizarre, but maybe more so than normal, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because that is a really just dumb statement. That maybe they aren't talking about political enslavement. That maybe like they're tracking with Jesus a little bit here. That he says, let's go a step further. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's talk about some stuff, guys. And they're like, okay, we can do that. We, we believe you. Let, let's go there. And so actually what it is that they're saying, perhaps, is that instead of we've never been enslaved in terms of being occupied by Rome or how we were back in Egypt, we have never been enslaved in the way that we have not given up what is truly most important. We haven't compromised. That we have never been enslaved to the point that we have forsaken our religion. That the way we worship is still pure. We haven't, in all the times that we have been overtaken by foreign powers and that we have been exiled in other places, we still worship the way God wants us to worship. And this makes a whole lot of sense because as we've seen time after time in John, what is one of the biggest hangups for all of these people around Jesus? It's the religious practices, right? That the purity of their religion is the thing that they have as the most sacred in their, their life. And they say, we've never given that away. We've never been so bad as to give up what God has given to us, and that's our religion. That for all the times he may have forsaken us, we've never forsaken him. And this was actually the main beef that the Jews had with the Samaritans at this time. The Jews thought that the Samaritans, during a time that they were overtaken, had compromised their religion and they had, be, they had let other foreign religions into theirs and, and to mess with their thinking and that the Jews themselves had stayed pure. And so they hold on to this thing and say, we haven't been enslaved like that. We have not compromised like that. So how in the world is it that you can tell us that we are not free because we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing? And the thing about this very interaction that I find the most fascinating is it shows exactly why I love Scripture so much. Because the Bible does not pretty things up. It doesn't fluff it up. It doesn't give us the responses we think people should say. It actually gives us real responses that we can actually see ourselves in these passages. Because I think this is probably the most common response to meeting Christ. In the verses before, what Pastor Justin preached about last week, Jesus comes up and he, and he says, I am the light of the world. And, and, and here's this guy talking about light and life and love and, and, and how God is light and life and love. And these Jews, they're just like, that sounds awesome. Yes, I need more of that in my life. Who doesn't think that, right? And so when we come into contact with Jesus and, and he's telling us who he is and we're hearing about him for the first time, we're like, this sounds really cool. I could use some of that in my life. And so we're like, hey, let's, let's plug him in. Let's, let's add this to what else we've got going on. But we don't think, 
We need to make it something where it is the center of everything. But we're like, oh, we love hearing about this Jesus guy. But before we know it, he turns around and he says, okay, that's about me. Now let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you've got going on in your life. Let's talk about the, the things that maybe aren't the way that they're supposed to be in you. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold up here, man. We're here about you, not me. We're like, hey, why don't we just focus on you? Because I believe in who you say you are, but uh, how about you just don't say anything about me? How about we just not talk about my life and, and my things and the skeletons in my closet and all that kind of stuff. Let's just leave that out of it. Let's focus on you. Jesus said, that's not going to work. That's not what it's about. And so he sees here through this response of, of how the Jews are responding to him, what they're saying, that we've never been enslaved. Our life is in a mess. We are as free as we possibly could. Jesus says, okay, this is a really big problem. And we've got to deal with it. And so he tells, he gives them three hard truths. Three hard truths that we all need to know, that we need to understand. And the first is this. Hard truth number one is you're a slave. He says to them in this response where they say, we've never been enslaved. Our, our father is Abraham. We're good. We've got it all together. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If that doesn't make you uncomfortable, just hang on. It gets better. Jesus is telling us sin is, matter of fact, an addiction. And like all addictions, it's a lie. But like every good lie, it's based mostly in truth. I, I, I know you guys don't have much, you know, practice with lying and stuff, but I consider myself kind of an expert. Um, and not anymore. I'm a pastor now. Um, before. Um, one of the things I found out about practicing lying quite a bit when I was younger, remember, not now, um, was that the best lies are the ones that are mostly true. The best lies are the ones that are 95% true. Why? Because they're the easiest to keep up. They're the easiest to remember. What's even more is nobody finds out that you're lying unless they find that one little sliver that is off. Everything else checks out. Those are the best. And Jesus is saying that's what sin is like. That every sin starts with a fundamental truth that we all know. Every addiction starts in the same place. And that is with the feeling inside of us that we are not complete. And that is true. It's true because we know, because scripture tells us that we have been created not complete. We have been created with a need at the center of us for something outside of us. We've been created for God to need God. And we are only complete when we have God. And so sin comes along in our life, like any addiction would, and says, hey, you need something else in here. And we're like, you know what? That sounds about right. That my life shows that. I, I feel this emptiness inside, that, that everything I, I, I do, it, it just doesn't somehow seem to bring everything together. And so, yeah, this, this feels right that that's the case. And this is when, then when the lie comes in. The sin says you can be made whole then through whatever you choose. That actually you have a world at your disposal to figure out what makes you happy. What makes you feel complete? What makes you feel like the best version of yourself? What gives you your best life? 
It says, go find it, go do it. And, and, and when you wear it out, there will be something else there. So yeah, don't worry about it. And it always starts off simple enough, doesn't it? Not a big deal, not, nothing crazy, quite innocent at first. But eventually, Jesus is saying, eventually it will enslave you. Rabbis for centuries have talked about this, trying to explain what it is, coming up with a metaphor to somehow shine a light on what it is exactly that sin does, the process that it overtakes us, how addiction works. A couple of the best that I found, one about 100 years after Jesus said, at the beginning, sin is like a spider's thread, but finally it will be like a ship's rope. Not a big deal at the start, but eventually it's something that will tie you down. And then a few hundred years later, at the beginning, it's like a guest. Later, it'll become the ruler of the house. This is why addiction is so hard to shake. Because it is primarily based in truth. And it starts out slow. And we've got a handle on it. We got it all taken care of. We're in charge. And before we know it, we're not the ones calling the shot anymore. Jesus is trying to get across to this group of Jews that believed in him that they are indeed enslaved to something outside of themselves. They're in fact enslaved to the religious purity. Better yet, probably even more so, they're enslaved to the, to the pride that they have, that they have maintained themselves, that they are self-sufficient. But we all have these things. I, I doubt any of us struggle with religious purity in here. Now, that's the thing we hold on to and we walk around and we're like, this is what I've centered my life around. Everything about me revolves around this. But we have other things. We deal with the lies that we maybe aren't lovable. No one would find us worthy of receiving love from them. And so we orient our lives in ways that we can maintain and have the relationships and the things that help us feel that way. Some of us have struggled with the lie that we don't matter. And so if we can just orient our lives and, and center our lives around achievement that we can point to and we can show people and, and it'll mean something to them and, and so then we'll be someone to them, that would mean then we matter and people think well of us. Or others of us, we carry around at the center of who we are, every failure we've ever had, feeling the guilt of that, that we will never outlive that, we will never, never be big of that, that that is the thing that defines us. And like true enslavement, given enough time and placed directly in the middle of who we are to allow everything to build in around that, it's these things, not God, that becomes our main identity. If you want to know who I am, look at my achievements. If you want to know who I am, look at who I'm with. All of these things, and we all have ours. We, we have multiple ones, but there's always that main one in our life that we always come back to. And Jesus is desperately trying to tell us, you can devote your life to these things, but you won't ever be satisfied by slavery. You can give everything you have. You can orient everything that you are around it, that your entire timeline, your, your whole agenda, your calendar, your resources, your family, 
Everything can be towards this thing, but he's trying to tell us it will never give you the fulfillment you're seeking because it's only God that can do that because that's what you were created for. And if you are seeking after, pushing after, hoping for something outside of Jesus Christ to give you that, you are in fact a slave. That is hard. That's difficult. It's uncomfortable. I don't like saying it right now. But Jesus says, you just need to know this hard truth. It doesn't stop there. I wonder if Jesus would have wanted it to stop there. And yet the Jews come back and they say, well, we don't think you heard us the first time. Abraham's our father. And so then Jesus has to reply. And he tells them this hard truth. Number two, he says, you aren't seeing straight. They say, Jesus is our father. And he says, if you were Abraham's children, there in verse 39, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. And this is not what Abraham did. What's interesting is Jesus is is, is talking about children. In one way, and the Jews are talking about children in another way. The Jews think it is good enough just to be able to say, we come from the line of Abraham. We're descended from Abraham, and so we're associated with Abraham, and we're like Abraham. And so if Abraham was, isn't good enough, then who is good enough? And if Abraham is good enough, then we're his kids, so we should be good enough. And Jesus says it doesn't work like that. Because if you want to associate yourself with him, you've got to be like him. And Jesus just flat out says, your actions don't look like this guy. You're not living the way that he lived. And the thing that the Jews, he's trying to get across to them is you can't see that. You can't see what you say, you believe, and what, where your life is and where your hope is, how it doesn't match up with how you're living. He says, you say you believe in me. You you believe everything I say. And then I tell you this stuff and now you want to kill me. Do you see how that doesn't match up? And they couldn't. So what we see with addiction, with sin itself, is that we, it gets to a place where we are unable to see what we've become. We know this about addictions, right? That we go so deep and we go so far that we can't even see straight. And I don't know many things more frustrating than to be told the way you're seeing stuff is not the way it is, right? We come to rely so much on on our senses, on our sight, our hearing, our, our feel. And to say that somehow what we're taking in is not reality is a frustrating thing. If you've ever had a condition like vertigo or or, or something like that, where your vision gets screwed up and you can't even trust what you're seeing in front of you. You don't know up from down. You don't know left from right. You don't know right from wrong. That is one of the most frustrating things. And for somebody to come along and tell you that something that you believe in so firmly, so foundational to who you are, is not the way it really is. Can you think of anything more upsetting and hard to hear? But sin works like this. It destroys our sense to see. In a few verses, in verse 43, Jesus gets frustrated with them and says, why can't you hear what I'm saying? 
Not only could they not see, they couldn't hear. And, and what's more, as sin gets us to a place where we are desensitized and we can even no longer feel. We can't feel what it's doing to us and what it's doing to those around us. And so we actually become unreliable to know what reality is, to know the truth of the world. So we justify, like the Jews were trying to do. They're, they're trying to say, oh, but Abraham's our father. They're, they're essentially saying, it's not that bad. Yeah, we might have gotten a few things off, but like really the thing that matters, Abraham being our father, having our lineage there, we've got that. Or that they're saying, oh, it wasn't always like this. We haven't always been this way. Or, or I can quit when I want. Have you ever heard that? We justify these things. And Jesus is saying, you can't because you don't see it clearly. You don't know the way it really is. And one of the greatest gifts we can have in our life for as hard as it is, when we are in that place, is to have someone come along and to be willing out of love to tell us the way you see it isn't right. And to out of love help us to begin to see it clearly. Jesus is trying to do that. But like so often, when we find ourselves in addiction like this, we end up actually lashing out at those who are, in fact, trying to help us. The Jews answer back and they say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And it's a clear dig at the claim that Jesus was born of a virgin. And so Jesus then says, well, here's the third hard truth you need to know. You are dying. It's probably the hardest one, the most harsh that he gets here. He says there in verse 43, he says, why do you not understand what I say? And he answers himself, it's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And as somebody that this doesn't affect, I'm thousands of years removed from these Jews. Even I'm like, whoa, Jesus, I don't think it's that bad. I don't think these people are literally like the spawn of Satan. And yet he says it. Jesus is trying to get across to them and us the cold hard truth. And that is, you can't dabble in this stuff. Sin works a lot like pregnancy. You're either pregnant or you're not. You can't be a little pregnant. And I know it may seem like that. It may even look like that. Someone that's 40 weeks pregnant looks a whole lot more pregnant than someone that's two weeks pregnant, but I assure you they are the same amount of pregnant. One's just got a little more experience with it than the other at that point. But it's going to end up in the same place. It's going to do the same thing. He says, sin works like this. It actually enslaves us by convincing us we aren't that bad. And Jesus is telling us, he says, don't misunderstand this. It's bad and its consequences are deadly. We skipped over it. So I could say it now. In verse 35... Where he follow, where he said, right after he says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin, he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. Doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to us maybe when we first hear it because we didn't live in their culture, but it made perfect sense to them. 
Their entire social structure was built around the family unit, the household. And if you weren't a part of a household, you were floating out in space. You had no way to provide for yourself. And so the thing that consisted, the people that consisted in a household weren't just a mother and a father or, a, or kids or, or grandparents, but also part of a household was servants and slaves as well. And if you were even a slave in a household for a time, you would have certain benefits from that. A place to sleep, food to eat, things like that. That would be hard to come by if you were outside of that household. But Jesus is telling us there is coming a time if you are a slave where you will no longer be in the household. Why? Because slaves get sold. Slaves get dropped. Slaves get kicked out because they are no longer useful to the master. He says, I know it feels like now this addiction you have going on, this sin in your life that you don't think is that big of a deal. I know it feels like now you're getting something from it, but I assure you, it is killing you. It is taking things from you and it will never give them back. That you will get to the end of your life and you will have given everything to this thing and it will have nothing to give back to you. And you will no longer be a part of the household. But the son always remains. Jesus is telling us, I I know that you think that that grudge you're holding against that person isn't that big of a deal, but it's killing you. I, I, I know the gossip that you really enjoy partaking in isn't that big of a deal, but it's taking everything from you. I know you think it's not that big of a deal to cheat a little bit so you can achieve this thing that's really important, but trust me, there's going to come a time when you won't even be able to choose whether or not to cheat your way to it. It will have a firm grip on you that you will do whatever it takes and go places that you never would have imagined and always said, I will not go there. This isn't something where you can have a little bit of it and be okay. This is something that given its run, it will take everything. And so Jesus starts telling us these hard truths that we are slaves if we give into this, that we aren't seeing things straight. And most importantly, that we are dying. He tells us this truth because our addiction is in fact killing us. It is that serious. I don't think that Jesus is the type of guy that we serve a God that enjoys running around and just telling us the things that we've screwed up, the things that aren't right in our life, that he takes such pleasure in coming down and saying, your life's a mess. Here it is. Let me point it out to you. No, in fact, that is not the guy that I even see as we've been going through this gospel of John. 
that we have seen someone so gracious and forgiving and, and, and so empathetic with our situation and what we find ourselves in. Just two weeks ago, we talked about how there's a woman caught in adultery and they bring her to Jesus to, to stone her and everything would say, yeah, you should do that. That's what's right. And if this guy that's saying these hard truths, he would do that very thing. And yet we find him offering up forgiveness and, and even offering a way out and telling her, go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't enjoy doing these things and saying these things to us, but he does them because of how much he loves us and he knows that these things are killing us. And he's afraid that if it goes unsaid, if we just are allowed to avoid it, deny it, justify and explain it away, that it will ultimately result in our very death. A few years ago, there was a news story about a um, lady named Lauren Lacks. And uh, Lauren had an eating disorder. Uh, Lauren's eating disorder was so severe that she would be walking on the street and people would yell out their car windows, hey, go eat a cheeseburger. Or ladies would stop her when she was in the grocery store and they'd say, honey, are you getting enough to eat? And I'm sure all of these people thought that they were speaking truth to her and somehow those things would get through to her and she'd fix her life. But Lauren's problem went a whole lot deeper than that. Uh, Lauren said that at one point in my life, it was about physically wanting to look a certain way, wanting to lose weight. Over time, it became about self-control, a feeling of empowerment over myself. I, I could deny myself foods and work out more than anyone else. She had an addiction to being in control and willing herself to some goal. One particular morning, uh, Lauren weighed herself and she weighed 79 pounds. And she said when she weighed herself, she looked down at the number and she said a quick prayer and asked God that it would get better. But her addiction was so strong that Lauren carried on with her morning. She put her clothes on and drove to her local YMCA that she went to every day before it opened so that way she could get the Stairmaster that she wanted. She was no longer the ruler of her household. And as much as those people driving by and yelling at her to get a cheeseburger and ladies stopping her in the grocery store thought that maybe they were doing the right thing by pointing out that she had a problem, there was a group at her YMCA that had worked out around her, mainly strangers, didn't really know Lauren, and yet they had seen what was going on. And so they decided something needed to be done. And so they called her parents up who lived um, a few states away, talked to them, made sure that they would be okay with them talking to her, And that same morning that Lauren weighed herself and prayed that God would help it get better, they met her in the parking lot, surrounded her, and said a very hard truth that they thought Lauren had a problem. They said at first uh, she wasn't very responsive. She was kind of a deer in the headlights, but eventually she gave in and they were able to take her to the ER. And they took her and stayed with her to such a degree that when the doctors wanted to release her because all her tests were coming back normal, they said, no, she's not right. And they made sure that she was admitted to a psychiatric ward so that she could be evaluated and they could understand. She said it took her over a year to stop living with the lie that she never thought she'd be able to let go of. When they asked uh, one of the guys in the group about it, 
He just said simply, we saw a girl that was about to die and we had to say something. It takes a lot of love to look at someone in a situation that you know is a mess and that you know is killing them and to not just simply say something fleeting or passing, not just talk to other people about it, but actually go to them and speak a hard truth. It's the kind of love Jesus has for us. And I don't think Jesus is this heartless guy walking around and when people confront him with stuff and they question him, they, he just wants to point out the flaws in their life with no hope of correction. No, when Jesus comes to us and he says, we have something difficult to talk about, the whole reason is Jesus says, this doesn't have to be this way. That there is something in your life that is controlling you, that is dictating to you. There is sin there, and if you leave it long enough, it will run your life, and we need to deal with it. And that brings us back to 31 and 32. This is where he actually begins, and this is where we're going to end, because this is huge. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And don't mistake what he's saying here. This is not intellectual truth as we like to think in our day and age. That If we can just know enough, if we can take enough classes, if we can be enlightened enough, it will solve all of our problems because it won't. Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And what he's talking about is Me. He says, I am the truth. I am reality. I am the right direction. And I'm the one that's going to be able to do it. You don't even have to do it under your own power. You just need me. And we know he says this because in verse 36, just down a couple lines, he says, and the sun will set you free. Just in case we misunderstand him. He says, don't miss out on this. It's me that will do it. If you believe in me, if, if you give me a chance, if, if, you, if you look at what I am and who I am and what I say about you, I can do this for you. Actually, the very gospel we're in, the last two verses of John, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John says there's a whole lot more can be written here, but I don't have enough paper to write it on. But all of this stuff has been jotted down. Why? So that you will believe because belief is the first step. Because once we believe, we can start abiding. We can start walking with Christ. And somebody was telling me after the first service, it's so perfect, I'm going to use it. They were saying about like weight loss and stuff because they were talking to me about that because everybody wanted to talk about how fat I am after the service this morning. They said, you know, the thing is, is that what you focus on grows. So I was talking to them about how like it's so depressing to count calories and stuff. And he said, don't count your calories, count your steps, count your push-ups, count the things that are going to help you lose weight. And I was like, that's perfect because since I've started counting calories this last week, all I can think about is how many calories I want to eat. And it's way more than I'm allowed to eat. 
Jesus says, if you abide in my word, he says, focus on me and I will grow. And at some point in your life, no longer is this addiction, this sin in your life going to be the thing that you're focused on and walking towards. And it might happen in a way, it'll take time and you might not even realize it, but there will become a day when you no longer are walking after that, you're walking after me, you're searching for me and that's when you'll be my disciple and you will know me and I will set you free. Jesus wants us to be free and not free to do what we want, but free to be what we were made to be. And that is people that know life so fully in him that we are flowing over with it, that we are able to share it with other people. Life where he is everything to us and everything in our life is oriented around him and who he is. And he says, if there is an addiction in your life, if you are walking after that, and even if you think there is no big deal about it, it's just a small little thing and you can stop whenever you want. He says, you're not my disciple. You're chasing after something else. He says, I'm the answer to that. The thing you've tried to kick, the thing you've tried to let up, the thing that you have tried in your own power to let go of, he says, stop focusing on yourself. Focus on me and I will grow. And don't we all long for that? I know we do. I, I know that we long to be fulfilled, to be able to do all that is possible for us to do and to be because it's the very thing we've been created for. And Jesus loves us enough to come and to speak some hard truths. You may be wrestling with some things in your life about yourself that you'd rather not talk about. You'd like to avoid or justify, explain away, even deny that that's the case. The very fact that you're in a situation that's bringing those things forward. The very fact that you feel this consternation in your soul is a sign that Christ is working on you, that he loves you enough, that he is not letting you remain in it, but he is saying there can be freedom and life beyond this and it's found in me. And so he wants to talk to you about it, not to point it out to condemn you, but to point it out to deal with it and let it die so you can live in him. Don't, if he is there, if you are there, don't avoid it. Don't run from it. Don't explain it away. Talk about it with him. If you are there, I would encourage you, find Pastor Justin or me or Pastor Ed, Pastor Dave. Just find somebody to pray with that God would help you know the freedom that is only found in Jesus Christ. The only freedom that we can know by abiding and remaining in him.